Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Bodek. I'm here with Chad Foster. Chad, how are you doing? Doing great, Josh. How are you doing? I'm very good. And I'm, yeah, I got to share something with you that I just thought of that when I don't like to, when I'm in my home and, and tell me if this is, if I should take this out, if I'm, if I'm saying something terribly offensive, because we live in a country where people get offended very easily, uh, often for, often do. for fair reasons though. So yeah. I was getting ready and I don't like to wear street clothes in my house. I like to change as soon as I get home. But when I record, mm-hmm. I like to wear like a collared shirt or, you know, look good. And I thought, oh, wait, he's blind. I can, I can wear my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think my wife adopts that too. She's decided that makeup is optional. She doesn't need to wear makeup. And I'm, I'm kind of joking. It's a little tongue in cheek. She doesn't really wear a lot of makeup anyway. I guess she's fortunate and she doesn't have to. But no, it's, it's fine. I actually have my video turned off today because I don't have my good camera hooked up. I have this really poor quality webcam on my laptop and I can turn my video on but it's not very good video quality. So I even have mine turned off. Your your call though, I can turn it on. It's just not as good as my 4K camera that I normally use. Well, it's just as well, my my hard drive is low in space. So having a simple static video will make it short. I won't run out of space. Okay. So you want me to leave the camera off or turn it on? Uh, leaving it off is fine. Then the the listeners get everything that we that we share. Yeah, and you know, you're gonna look the same to me regardless of whether your video is on or off or what kind of clothes you wear. So it's one of the advantages of not being able to see. I'm not focused on that sort of shallow interpretation of how you're showing up, right? That surface level, how you look. It's more about, you know, how you come across, how you show up sort of verbally and your in terms of your character and your persona. So I hope I come across shallow in my voice. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't, but I like your sense of humor. So there's a couple of things uh, lingering from last time. I, I guess the big one is you camping. And as I recall, your wife would be a tough nut to crack, but your son might be a good salesman for that. And yeah, how are things going? That was the theory behind it. And um, I think what I found over the last month or so is that my son is heavily influenced by my wife. And um, at least at this point in his life, he's getting a little bit older. And detaching a little bit, but he's definitely attached to mommy. He's five. I didn't have any success, frankly, yet. I haven't given up, but I think what I have to do is, um, and I think this applies whether it's my little situation of going camping or more broadly, uh, getting people to adopt ideas. It's, you know, who are the influencers of those people? And how can you get influencers of those people on board so that they can get additional people who look up to those people to get on board. And so I think what I'll have to do is is get my wife to join in. So that will make it more compelling for my son because he really looks up to her. And that might be a little bit harder now that it's, you know, it's all relative cold. We're in Atlanta. It's not really cold. I mean, it's going to get up. It's really bizarre today. It's going to be up to 65, 67 degrees. And then it gets down into the twenties tonight. So it's, it's a really sort of interesting weather pattern that we're going through. But uh, there is, I think there will be an opportunity, maybe not on the camping. We, we do have a couple of ski trips planned as a family, which we're talking about principally here. The, the root of this is getting outdoors and appreciating all that nature has to offer. And so from that standpoint, we have a ski trip coming up. We're going to Park City in mid-January. We have another ski trip planned to Colorado in mid-February. And then I'm I'm taking the family on both of those. And then I'm doing another ski trip 
in Colorado right after that with just the guys. But what I really want to do, and I've managed to do this with my daughter, is get my daughter ignited with skiing. And so now she's got it in her blood. She loves skiing. My son, I took him at three years old and he, I think it was just a little too soon for him. He was okay with it. He just wasn't very interested in it. And so now he's five. I'm hoping he can be a little more focused on it. And my wife didn't really get into it either because it was just a sort of a bad execution on my part. She went through all the all the chaos of getting everybody to their ski classes. And by the time she got to her ski class, she was late and they had left and she got really upset because she had gone through all the trouble of getting her ski gear and getting everybody to their class. And by the time she got there, she couldn't ski because they had left her. So she was pretty bitter about that. And so she didn't, she actually turned in her skis and didn't bother to do anything for the trip other than just kind of hang out and, you know, drink hot cocoa as, as we went skiing. So kind of bad execution on my part, uh, trying to get her there in time. But I think getting my son ignited with skiing is an opportunity here in the next month or two, and then hopefully her as well. I'm, I'm going to get a ski pro so that she doesn't have a class to worry about trying to get her so that hopefully they can appreciate the outdoors, right? Because skiing is a really good opportunity to do that in a way that I think is, is very unique. You don't really get to experience it like that many other ways. So hopefully we're able to, to make a little headway with that. You know, when a lot of guests come back and they say it didn't work out and usually they come back with a message of like, oh, this isn't going to work or how can I change it? But it, I'm hearing from you that you're not, you're not saying this didn't work. You're saying I'm going to come out a different way. For better or for worse, I am not the kind of person to throw in the towel very easily on something. Like when I was a kid, my parents used to say I was really, really hard-headed and then after I went blind and pushed through that and managed to become happier and more successful, they said, oh, you're very determined. I said, well, that's great marketing. You know, it's just the same, same sort of thing. When I was younger, they said I was hardheaded, but now it's, it's a determination. So, yeah, I think it's just figuring out how, in what context can the goal or, or any set of circumstances work for you? And so my wife is, she's not, my wife, you know, if I'm being honest, she's not thrilled with the idea of going skiing. But now, because our daughter, Juliana, is on fire about it, it, it now has my wife's attention. So my, my daughter, our daughter, is influencing my wife's behavior. And if I can get my wife out there, I know it will influence my son's behavior. And so it's, you know, it's figuring out how do I, how do I find the right context for the goal, the goal for me is, yeah, I want my children to be active. I want them to be outdoors. I don't want them to be stuck on screens all the time. And I'm very passionate about that. I, I think screens are great when they're being used in a sort of mindful way, an intentional way. But I'm not a big fan of screens when it comes to, oh, that's my default because I don't have anything else to do. I'm just going to vegetate on a screen. I'm not a big fan of that. You know, growing up myself, we were outside all the time. Back then I could see, obviously, and we were on the basketball court or on the soccer field or the football field, baseball field all the time. We were always extremely active. And I find today that at least my children, and maybe it's more applicable broadly as well, but yeah, they, they don't tend to be as active. And so I'm trying to get my kids on fire about something I've done it with skiing. I've started recently, and this isn't outdoors per se, but it's active. I've 
gotten the whole family except my wife. I'm trying to get her involved. She says she doesn't have time, but I'm trying to work around that. But we're all into jujitsu. So we started jujitsu. And so something other than a screen, something that makes you be active and appreciate, you know, something than just aside from just sitting in a, in a chair or on a couch, whatever, being glued to a screen. Yeah, I think you describe, you're talking about your family. I think, I think you also know you're describing America and the world these days of the inactivity. Also, when you talk about how you go through different routes, it makes me think of um, when I talk to a company and I'm maybe talking to someone in HR and they talk to me because they, they don't want me to come in and do a talk on leadership or s- sustainability. And I say, mm-hmm. here's what I do. And they go, oh, we need the CEO on board for that. And I say, okay, what does that mean? And they go, well, we'll have to talk to so-and-so and so-and-so. We'll have to influence so-and-so. And we'll have to tell this person that order and this person that order. And like, it's the stakeholder map, right? Let's get a stakeholder map. Let's find out, you know, who's an influencer. We'll do a racy chart. <laughs> Foster Corp. Yeah, exactly. It's the same sort of thing, right? It's, it's a little bit different in the execution, but it's a very similar concept. Well, when I coach someone on leadership, I usually, a lot, I mean, a lot of people I coach are, are come from a more technical background. And working mm-hmm. with people isn't their forefront, isn't what they're used to. And there, there comes a switch when they switch from talking about well, how do characters like to talk about things and stuff and start talking about more about people. And when they really start talking about emotions and motivations and determining those motivations from behavior or from, from how the people talk, then I say, oh, now you're starting to sound like a leader, which is how you sound. And also that if, if I can continue that, that sure. a lot of people, when they, before they act, say for doing the Spodic method, committing to acting on some value of this, before they commit, they often talk about other people as challenges. Like, this, oh, so-and-so won't go for it. I can't do it because of my husband, my wife, whatever, my boss. After they commit, then they switch to starting saying, oh, how can I work with that person? How can I, they, they start seeing other people not as obstacles, but as, I want to say tools. What's the right word? Puzzles. Puzzles as or allies or assets or part of the solution. There we go. Part of the solution. So for me, and I'm just sort of injecting my own circumstances into what I think is your intention of this thought is, you know, when I first looked at my wife in this situation, I thought, well, it's not going to be, she's not going to really be a big fan of this. And for me, it was the puzzle of how do I get her motivated to do it? And the same for my son, like, how do I solve that rubric of getting them on board? Not, will they do it? I mean, the simple binary, are you going to be excited about it on face value at face value is one thing, but how can how can we put it in the right context so that you're motivated to rethink this situation? How can we think about it and you know the right context to reframe it in a way so that you're motivated? I think that's that's the key to everything is figuring out what motivates people and where they see value in it. My daughter sees different value in skiing than does my wife and my son and me and you know how do we influence one another and how do we give them the opportunity to have that passion to ignite that something inside of them that they don't know exists that they don't know can exist and if they don't expose themselves to it then they will never know that it exists and so it's creating the right context the right environment so people can have the opportunity to have those experiences this is what i don't hear from people acting on the environment people who want to influence you know, lowering climate change and lowering pollution and lowering deforestation is telling people facts and numbers or telling them what to do is not what you're talking about at all. And 
if you told your wife, I can't think of what the facts related to, relevant to uh, camping outside would be, it, it wouldn't motivate her or telling her, just do it or cajoling or coercing. No, it would do the opposite. It would do the opposite. It would create friction in the relationship. It would make her not want to do it because she feels like I'm trying to control her. And yet this is what people do across the board with the environment. And they're like, oh, I mean, they, they try to do it through government, through laws. I agree that there, there's some really, the regulations now are backward of funding money into fossil fuels, for example, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. allowing people to, to escape by offsetting, uh, not offsetting, um, externalizing costs. Like, I mean, the amount of litter in the streets from McDonald's and Starbucks and all these Coca-Cola and Pepsi and that I'm paying my taxes to clean it up. That's terrible accounting. So yeah, yeah. the laws, that, that, whatever laws allow that to happen are distorting the market to allow companies that hurt the public welfare to profit and ones that help the public welfare not profit, which is backward. Anyway, but people are telling others what to do and giving them facts. And what you're talking about sounds obvious to me, although this is after decades of leadership research and practice, but nearly absent, which is part of the reason why I keep bringing you back. Because I think you're, I mean, I know that you, you speak publicly and people respond to you. And this is an area that you're not working on, but I think your voice would be tremendous, your voice and your experience. And what's obvious to you about how to lead people is sadly missing from most people. Mm. Yeah, it, it really does boil down to maybe an overused term, right? Emotional intelligence, EQ, just knowing what motivates other people and connecting with them and caring about them on a human enough level. Like, you know, when you connect with someone on a human level, then, you know, they can respect you and they can respect where you're coming from. And so knowing that you're not telling them to do something, once you've earned that respect with somebody because they know you care about them, then you can say things sometimes that you you couldn't otherwise say because you've established respect, you've earned the trust, and they know that you're coming from the right place. I think that's where a lot of people kind of they 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 miss the opportunity to sort of earn that trust and earn that respect. And so there's this gap between intention and impact. The intentions of people, I think, are yeah, and, and what you're talking about are good. They're trying to do something very good. The impact is not always effective as it as it could be. And I think the gap there is, you know, whether or not the people receiving the messages are seeing the impact or seeing the intention. And I think a lot of times, you know, the you, you lose the impact in the delivery and the execution, or excuse me, you lose the intention, I should have said, in the delivery. And the execution. And that I honestly believe accounts for, I don't have any statistics to back this up, but I would venture to say the vast, vast majority of communication breakdowns. It's the gap between intention and impact. Anytime you get mad at, you know, maybe it's a it's a friend or it's relative or it's a spouse, I would say that 99% of the time the intentions are good between two people. And and so if the intentions are always good, how can people ever, you know, how could they have arguments or or debates or, you know, if they disagree on things, that's one thing. But, you know, 
if you know they're coming from the right place, how could you get angry with them? I think that to me is is really where um, where we miss the mark more often than not. And this isn't just, you know, I'm not saying this is just the cause that you're talking about. I'm saying everybody misses this, myself included, making sure people know that you're coming from the right place. And you may disagree on the course of action to get to where you want to go. But if you could all baseline on what the intention is and have a common starting point, you know, the route you take to get there has a lot less friction with it. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe it in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Is this stuff that you always knew or does it come to you later in life? Did you learn it because someone taught it to you? Did you pick it up on your own? Does everyone have it? Do more people have it than not? Or I sort of learned this throughout the course of my life. I, I think generally I was pretty good at working with people. I've always had good people skills, but this particular insight is something that, yeah, I didn't learn this until, I don't know, the last 10 years or so, um, 10, 15 years working with people and really understanding sort of human behavior and and sort of in the, the lab experiment of my life and, you know, trying to figure out, I guess for me, I was sort of forced in a, a bit more of a learning mode because my pivot in my own personal journey, I went from, you know, privileged white dude with my own set of preconceived notions and biases. And then I went blind and became a disabled minority. And all of a sudden, you know, I went from the the guy who had all of these ideas about other people, including people who were disabled or blind. And then I was all of a sudden forced into that group because of my eye condition. And that taught me, I think, the power of meeting people where they are as opposed to where we think they should be. Uh, The power of not assuming you have all the answers. Uh, the power of commonality of, you know, we're all 99.9% the same genetically. So our experiences have to account for the different belief systems that we all have. I have different experiences than you do. And so any differences that you and I have are likely due to the narrow experiences that our life has taught us. And so I experienced this in my own life, you know, having people come up and ask me questions that were pretty breathtaking sometimes in terms of ignorance and things like that. But you know what? Because I had also been ignorant when I could see, I could kind of understand why they would ask some of those questions. As offensive as those questions were, they would come up and ask me, who feeds your dog for you? Oh my God, you have a job. How's that possible? Well, because I too was someone who was ignorant at one point, not knowing what was possible for a blind person, you know, I had some of those same questions. And so I could sort of relate with where they were coming from. And so I I didn't react sort of in a, a you know, negative way. Um, certainly, it's you got to 
be mindful and, and control that a little bit. But I think what it what it taught me is we only know what our experiences have taught us. And so any of us can be accidentally offensive if we're not very careful. And so it really starts with having a dab of humility, a lot of curiosity, and really trying to understand where people are coming from. And so if you get into a debate with somebody and you and I are having a heated debate, I could never reach you if you're so overrun with emotion that you want to get something out, no matter what I say to you, as long as you have that energy and that passion, we'll never make it inside of you because you're so tightly wound with whatever it is that you you need to get out. It's futile for me to do that. So I'm better off to just sit back, relax, ask questions to help draw out exactly where you're coming from so that I can help you paint a picture for me of where you're coming from. And then at that point, you're going to feel heard. And after you feel heard, like I understand you, doesn't mean I agree with you necessarily. And there's an art to it. But if you feel like I'm genuinely listening to you and trying to understand you, at that point, your energy levels will dissipate and you will feel like this guy gets me. Well, guess what happens then? Then you're in a position to hear me. Now we're having a real conversation. We're not just throwing ideas back and forth at one another in a heated debate. We are seeking to understand one another. And that, to me, is where progress is made, particularly with groups that, you know, who don't always align on certain things. So it's, it's the difference between, in my opinion, waiting for your turn to talk and actually having a dialogue with someone. You know, I, I know we're short on time here, but I can't help but ask. You're, and so you might not be able to answer in time or with the time available. You're working at Red Hat. What you're talking about, though, applies way beyond. And you do speaking. Do you think mm-hmm. of where you want to apply what you're talking about? Are you, do you want to apply it beyond what's paying your bills these days? I do. Yeah, I do. I feel like it's needed. I, frankly, I feel like I put an article about this out, wrote an article about this, this thing. I think there's a, a problem right now in our social discourse or lack thereof. I think we've got a combination of factors that have created so much division in society. And it, it sort of started, I'll try to make it brief. I know we only have a few minutes, but it sort of started with news and the way that news went to advertising when all of us elected to stop paying for news. And we went from sort of, we're going to subsidize neutral reporting on news to now we're going to advertising model. And that created clickbait news reporting, which sensationalizes things and creates this division and gravitational pull in different directions on the political spectrum. And then that then fed into different platforms with widely different views And then that fed into social media, which also has the business model of advertising. And then it creates these echo chambers where people only hear what they believe because it's in the social media company's best interest to serve them what they believe so that they continue to read and continue to get served ads. And so what that does is it creates groups of people who never hear opposing points of view. So when they do encounter somebody's opposing point of view on some platform, they're shocked that people could ever believe something that is clearly so wrong based on the information that they are reading. And the truth is, they're only reading their point of view. It's confirmation bias. 
And so they're never really hearing opposing points of view. And that combined with the abstraction that our technology creates between people, you end up with keyboard cowboys sitting behind their computer screen who feel like it's a little easier to come across to someone in a way that is less than human. It's less than humane. It's not kind. And they, they're able to do it more easily because it's virtual and it's not face-to-face. And so I think we, we've ended up with an environment in today's social discourse that is, is not very empathetic. It's not trying to hear where other people are coming from. You have people, you know, with a lot of, a lot of rhetoric that is, um, less than productive, shall we say. So I I do think there's a need. I know that's a long way to answer your question, Josh. I do think there's a need and I think there's a path to get there, but it it starts with each person sort of, you know, checking the ego at the door that they're right. And this, this um, confirmation bias does result in a little bit of arrogance, maybe in some cases, and even self-righteousness, like how can they not understand how obvious this answer is? And anytime you show up in a conversation with that, it comes out in your tone and your delivery, and it's just not possible to have that kind of a presence and work with somebody who doesn't believe what you believe in a productive way. So it's up to each of us to sort of own that and figure out how we can have just a little bit more humility and a whole lot more curiosity to try and create a productive dialogue as opposed to you know just waiting for our turn to talk. Well, we'll have to leave as a cliffhanger for next time. What I think was the undercurrent of what you're saying and what would come next is when asked is, do you have visions for yourself? You described the situation of the lack of communication and the miscommunication exacerbated by the news cycles or the, the, the structure of the news these days. And then you described what has to be done or what could change. And I think the next step is, I hear that you have a, a vision of what you could do to change that, what you could do to uh, improve that. and I think for me to ask, what is that? It's a natural question, but I think we don't have time for it. Yeah. But I think between now and next time, if there's a next time, I mean, you're, you're going to go skiing. You may still end up having a camping trip or camping up in the backyard before then. And mm-hmm. you didn't mention you just camping by yourself, which requires no other people to, to do. And I think you mentioned that in principle, you can pitch a tent. I think you, you described pitching it badly, I think, before. And is that something across your mind of, of you doing it yourself and seeing if, or are they just going to, maybe talk about it before, I forget, are they just going to think, oh, dad's being crazy? Or might they think, oh, he's really serious about this. Maybe I'll do it this next time he, he camps out. I'm not sure how inclined I would be to do it myself. Maybe, you know, because it's, the scenery aspect is obviously not as enjoyable now that I'm blind um, <laughs> as it used to be. For me, you know, the whole experience was sharing that with family, you know, that, that to me was really valuable. So I think for me, it would, I'm not sure that I'd be inclined to do it myself, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it myself, but it wouldn't be nearly as enjoyable if I could create some of those special memories that I have from my childhood with my family. It might be, all right, uh, do I say it or not? Yeah, I'm going to jump in. And if we run out of time, we're out of time, but um Sure. That sounds a lot like what a lot of people are saying about the environment. I don't want to act myself. I want to get other people to act. And I think people get, well, if you don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. And you're saying, well, you're saying something different because you're saying there's a group aspect to it as opposed to you don't want to do it at all. You want to do it as a, as a member of a group. But there's this, it's related to 
someone else should do it or someone else should do it first or I'll only do it if other people do it. It's not exactly the same. It's not exactly the same, but it's a fair comment. It's a fair comment. So it sort of speaks to maybe what my motivations would be for doing it, right? Um, in my case, motivations, is it my own personal enjoyment of being outdoors and camping or igniting something inside of my, my family or creating the memories and the experiences with them? And I'm not sure I have a good grasp on which of those is more dominant than the other. I know certainly for skiing, you know, because I can experience so much more of skiing than I could camping because skiing is really, it's about the movement down the hill. Still, I can't see the scenery or anything like that, but I would go, you know, skiing with or without them, you know, no, no problem. And I have done that for a few years and that's how I fell in love with it. Now I'm trying to create that passion um, for them too, help them experience that so that they can have that passion. And hopefully I can, have my cake and eat it too, right? I get to go have the beautiful experience outside and do a sport that I love and get some memories with the family as well. When I first started my, like avoiding packaged food, I thought it was, I mean, in retrospect, I realized the greatest value was not in the, the first experience because at first my food was really bland and I didn't know what it's doing and it wasn't pleasurable. It was the learning. Mm -hmm. And then I could, once I learned to say cook food that was really delicious and cost less and uh, was healthier, then I could share joy with people. But until I had that joy myself, all I could do is tell other people what to do. And, and you just, you know, we just spent the past 20 minutes talking about how that's not ineffective. Hmm. That's a really interesting observation. And maybe that's why I've been able to, to be so successful at selling my daughter and igniting her on skiing. Right. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. It's a good point. Well, let's leave it there. See. and. We'll talk again after, I guess, I'll leave it to you to contact me after you ski next time. We can look at late January if you want. You want to send me some times in late January. That'll be in between ski trips. It'll be after my first family ski trip before the second. And then, so that way we've got something to reflect on, whether or not I was successful igniting something inside of my son and my wife with skiing. And we can, we can click down a level on that as well as these other things that we didn't, did not put a ribbon on in this conversation. All right. So let's wrap up here. Then we'll do the details with the so listeners don't have to hear all the knickknack stuff. Sounds good. I enjoyed it. Chad Foster, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.